anything you want to get out of life, you're going to have to sacrifice for it. And so I've sacrificed a lot of time of just being a normal kid, hanging out with friends and all of that for a bigger purpose. And sometimes you think that it might just be easier to be the normal kid than to chase after greatness, but it was never meant to be easy. Nothing in life's meant to be easy. So it's been a challenge being 18 to 21 and being all wrapped up in the business world rather than being wrapped up in being a kid world. All right, you guys, welcome back to the Light It Up podcast. If you're new to this channel and you want to know everything there is about making money in real estate, selling sales skills, building your business or investing, then subscribe below, tap the bell for notifications so you can be the first to know what makes our great guests so successful. Let's talk about adding leverage. So we've been getting a lot of calls of people asking us how we've hired virtual assistants to scale and leverage our business. So we've opened up our playbook to all of you. If you're looking to add leverage in your business, whether it's administrative support, ISA outbound callers, go to adleverage.com and they'll be there to help you staffing your team. All right. Today we have an incredible guest who's a true real estate prodigy. Jacob Blank at the young age of 18 has accomplished something that most people can only dream of. He's built a seven-figure real estate investment company, but the story doesn't stop there. Jacob's journey into real estate started at an even younger age. Welcome to the show, Jacob. Thanks so much for being here, man. Yeah, of course. Thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, man. And just to clarify, so he started a little bit into 18, but now he's 21. So not yep. not saying that he's 18 now. Yep. So just to clarify on that. Um, and let's jump into lightning round so we can get into the podcast. All right. <laughs> let's jump into it. Jacob, we're going to hit you with some questions here. Who has had the most influence on you growing up? Yeah, who's had the most influence on me growing up? Probably my mom because she always steered me in the right direction and would always let me know if I'm doing something wrong or right uh, to make sure that I made good decisions in my life. So I think my mom for sure. Awesome. I've spent uh, some time today reading a little bit about your bio and and these cool stories about your dad and investing $5,000 into one of his flips. So I, I thought for sure you were going to yep. say your father, but. Yeah, no, probably my mom because she always steered me in the right direction as far as like life. So, yeah. All right. <laughs> because Good stuff. We know life skills matter the most. And I think she handed those down to me for sure. Awesome, man. Good. What's the worst advice you've ever received? Yeah, the worst advice that I've ever received was probably like to just do the normal thing and relax, right? Because all success comes from doing something that's out of the norm, right? If you follow the same path as everybody else, you're going to wind up like everybody else. And there's a lot of that programming, you know, in school and growing up that steers you into the same direction. But if you want to stand out, you literally have to stand out from the crowd. So, yeah. Do the opposite of what everybody else is doing. I like it. What is one accomplishment you are most proud of? Yeah, one accomplishment that I'm most proud of is being able to do online school and complete all of that while still building an actual real business and then get to the point from 16 to 18 years old to actually becoming a millionaire. That's one of my biggest achievements, I think. Awesome, man. So just to elaborate on that, you're going to school online right now? 
while no so when i was 16 years old and i started to do this business i actually um had to do online school because i got mono and my immune system was really bad so i needed to get more rest and so i had to do online school so i could have more of a flexible schedule now this was a blessing in disguise and like most things in life that at the time they per we perceive them as negative they're actually like the butterfly effect like divine intervention it's exactly what you needed at that time yeah and so being able to do online school free up my schedule gave me the ability to chase after something more substantial than just high school and so i was able to do online school while chasing after real estate built a real business became a millionaire by 18. yeah sweet it's awesome man this question kind of goes into that too what mistake do people often make about you yeah people probably underestimate me just because i look young and whatnot but i feel like i've lived like a lot of echelons like a full life cycle at this age so i think people would underestimate you know the wisdom or the knowledge that i might have just based on how i look young but i think that would be a complete fault on them for underestimating that and by by no means do i have it figured out or do i know it all i'm a student of the game constantly learning and trying to better myself and i don't have it all figured out but i think i'm far beyond my years for sure yeah no, that's solid you know what's tough is like as you grow into this business well or any business really and and you're constantly learning you you sort of outgrow your your friend groups right you end up you know either doing more transactions making more money spending more time just building and working on your business that a lot of times you know you're not able to just hang out and chill with other people who want to just do just that so have you found it yeah. like doing that i imagine at an even younger age like 18 to 21 did your groups of friends change immensely yeah it's just i feel like i've had the same friends but i've been distant right to become successful and to really make something for yourself that is actually worth you know to become something that's actually worth being there's going to be a lot of sacrifice for that just like anything else in life anything you want to get out of life you're going to have to sacrifice for it and so i've sacrificed a lot of time of just being a normal kid hanging out with friends and all of that for a bigger purpose and so yeah i've grown distant from a lot of people but i still pretty much have the same friends but it's hard to connect with people on a similar level about a lot of topics and sometimes you think that it might just be easier to be the normal kid than to chase after greatness, but it was never meant to be easy. Nothing in life's meant to be easy. So it's been a challenge being 18 to 21 and being all wrapped up in the business world rather than being wrapped up in being a kid world. And so it's just an interesting dynamic and an interesting, you know, life to live. Yeah. Can you share that story of you having to remind an employee who the boss was? So yeah. Um, this has happened a few times and it mostly happened with people that worked at another wholesaling company before where they kind of had, um, you know, they were stuck in their ways, right? So they thought they knew it better. And I had to let them know, you know, that I've been doing this, I've done a bunch of deals and look, I get you've worked for somebody before, but I'm starting the whole thing. I'm creating the whole business. I'm, you know, going out on a limb, investing money, taking the risk. So you got to understand that things are going to be different here. They're going to be my way because I'm the one going out on a limb, putting that risk out there. And so it was kind of just 
a matter of getting them to understand like, hey, I'm serious about this. I've been doing this. I'm committed. And having them understand that kind of changed the dynamic. But ultimately, I found the most success hiring people that are around my age that are kind of new, like fresh out of high school or like 20, 21, 22, that, you know, they're new, right? They don't know how their way around the world that much, right? And I've been doing business and like real life since 16. So I've built communication skills and I've built certain skills that now just show the separation between my age and their age, even though we're around the same age, but they're fresh out of high school and I've been living this life of the real world. Mm. And so at a certain point, as long as I keep them around that same age, that respect has been there just from the beginning. But early days, it was definitely a challenge. And I was hiring people. One guy I hired was like 55 and he made 11 calls in two weeks. You're supposed to make 100 dials minimum a day. So he had to go, but it's part of the game. (laughs) Yeah. Did you let him go or did someone else let him go for you? I let him go. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm sure you can just imagine that. (laughs) It's like, hey, uh, sir, please, you gotta, you gotta go, please. That's awesome, man. Yeah. So who introduced you to wholesale? Because uh, yeah, it's yeah, if you could share that. Yeah. So my dad was a realtor growing up, so I was around real estate, and then I did that one flip who actually introduced me to wholesaling and how I found out about it was Alex signs. And I'm sure you guys have heard of him. He started wholesaling real estate when he was 18 years old here in Phoenix, Arizona. And I found out about him and I realized instead of doing flips, I could wholesale real estate, right? Like I put some money in on that flip with my dad, but then I found out throughout that process about wholesaling. I'm like, I could do 10 deals in the amount of time it took me to do this one flip and make 10 times the money. And I don't have to, put any money out of pocket really, except for marketing. There's very minimal risk. The upside's huge. And so I started chasing after wholesaling. So that's how I found out about it. Nice. Okay. Why is it that every wholesaler is in Phoenix, Arizona? Not everybody, um, but I'm, I'm being sarcastic, but there's so many guys out there. something like in the water. Pace Morby, Jamil. Yeah. Who else have we talked about? I feel like there's so much more wholesaling going on on the, the not only just the West Coast, but specifically Arizona. Yeah. You know, there's many reasons for it. There's a lot of people here in town. That's why it's been great to like grow up in this business here in town. I built amazing relationships that have propelled me forward by being in this in, you know, Phoenix, Arizona. But a lot of people want to move to Arizona. It's the sunshine, you know, one of the sunshine states, right? Great weather. And so the whole thing is there's always been like the most realtors out of any state in the country in Arizona. So Mm. it's always been trending that way. And then when people just started to get more creative, not sticking to just being a traditional realtor, the traditional route, then imagine how many of those people that were already in real estate are going to flip over to wholesaling. So mm-hmm. that I think that's one thing. And then, you know, another thing is it's a good market for wholesaling with the median home value that Arizona is that normally sits around. Obviously, everything's super inflated and crazy now, but Arizona's always been around a good median home value above like 250000 And that's where we know if we're above that median home value, we are going to make the bigger assignment fees. Uh, So Mm. it's always been a healthy market for wholesaling. Sweet. Awesome. If you had to break down, so right now, seven-figure wholesaling business, how many transactions does that have to be every month? Yeah. So we're doing about 70 to 100 transactions per year. This Mm. year is a little bit slower. I think we're going to probably end up in the 50s, between 50 to 60 in transactions. So yeah, 
we're doing a good amount of transactions, you know, 10 plus transactions a month, around 10 transactions a month. Nice. What's your average assignment fee? Yeah, average assignment fee this year is smaller. It's around 17,000, but that's still good because a healthy assignment fee is 15. Yeah. But if we go back to 2022 and 2021, we were sitting at between 27 to 33,000 wow. per assignment fee. Wow. Yeah, cuz with the hedge funds and everything, our average deal size was super inflated. Yeah. Now, are most of the deals that you're doing are they all in Arizona or are you guys working throughout the country? Yeah, so Throughout my career, most of the deals that I've done are in Arizona, the majority of them. But I've been doing deals in many states for a lot of years. But this year, I'm doing the least amount of deals ever in Arizona, just because the way the market is in Arizona, I don't think it's so great for wholesaling right now. Mm -hmm. Granted, if you get a deal here, it's going to be a good deal. You're going to be able to sell it fast. You're going to make money. But it's hard right now with rates and with how much the funds were pouring into this market and how many wholesalers there were, just sellers are difficult. It's a difficult market right now. So I've gone nationwide with online digital ads as my main thing right now when mm -hmm. my bread and butter was cold calling. I still cold call, but I had 30 cold callers for like four years straight. I've completely shifted majority of my efforts to nationwide inbound online digital ads. Nice. Can you walk us through that and how it works and how you've been doing that so far? Yeah. So there's a few different things that we're doing for digital ads. Um, we're doing Google pay-per-click. And so that's, you know, when you search on Google, sell my house or whatever, whatever search term, the first four that show up are going to be paid for ads. Um, so I'm running those ads. So we're getting people searching for us and clicking on our website off of Google. And then another thing that's been working out really good for me is Facebook ads. Mm. And so what I do is I have a couple different guys that run Facebook ads for our company. And that's been working out really well as well, because just the way you're able to target people on social media, you're able to, the cost per leads a lot lower too, yeah. right? With pay-per-click, you could be spending, you know, between 80 to $200 a lead with Facebook you're gonna be sitting around $35 a lead. And so being able to run those two channels where with pay-per-click, we might get a little less volume of leads mm -hmm. and then supplement that with the Facebook, we're able to keep good lead volume, but while continuing with an inbound model, which with inbound, your team's gonna be a lot happier because they're gonna be talking to people that actually really wanna sell all the time. Mm -hmm. It becomes less stressful because you gotta make less contacts to get a deal. It's just inbound, if you can get it to work, is yeah. a better model in yeah. any business, any sales business. Yeah. So did you solely, get, did you completely get rid of your outbound calling team? No, I still have uh, 10 callers, but, but I had 30. So I, you know, reduced that drastically. And I even reduced it down to three callers at one point, but we're getting back up, building it back up a bit because it's good for the lead volume, keeping the team busy, but... Yeah, I'm really enjoying inbound right now. Yeah, cool. that was the one of the biggest hangups we had. We used to have 16 outbound callers and it was like insanely profitable. That was for a residential real estate brokerage, though, not really wholesaling. Realizing, yeah. reflecting on it now, it was a perfect model for wholesaling. Sure. Because they would get like the average price point they would get in or convert was like 500,000 when our median in our marketplace is like 758. So it would have been a perfect wholesaling model. But not only that, though, but they, they tend to attract... I don't know how to say this nicely. The less sophisticated. Yeah, well, yeah, fair. 
Fair statement. But it, those are they're the not ones picking that are going to be perfect. Two, they're for, not picking up $2 million opportunities. They're yeah. picking up $500,000, $300,000 yeah. you know, opportunities. But the, the biggest struggle that we saw in that is that outbound is so much more difficult because you're chasing, chasing, chasing. And you need more leverage. But inbound, yeah. it's like everybody that was doing it in a really high level was creating brands to get inbound leads coming in. So that's yeah. that's something that we were trying to figure out. How do we make ourselves different? And I'm assuming in Arizona, when you're competing with so many different wholesalers, that's the route you decided to take. Yeah, I think though that no matter the market, no matter the competition, there's there's room for everybody to eat, right? Because mm -hmm. Arizona has the most wholesalers, but for the majority of my years, I was doing most of my deals here. I never had a problem to get a great piece of the pie. Yeah. And then, yeah, the thing with outbound, like it's good still, be, but inbound's great. But when you're getting started and stuff, and you know, even you can grow a whole massive business just like I did off of outbound cold calling. The main thing to remember when you are getting started and you want to be successful in real estate is you need to be doing proactive marketing rather than reactive. Mm -hmm. That's just the main thing in order to have success. So what that means, instead of putting up like a bandit sign and waiting for them to come to you, outbound cold calling is way better as a method, right? Because you're doing proactive, you're actively chasing. That's yeah. one of the most important things. If you want to get sales, want to do business in whatever business it is, chase the prospect too. Yeah. So keep that in mind as well, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's a it's good It's sort point. of like the analogy of like, in a, as a residential real estate agent, like you could do an open house, right? Wait for people to come to you, or you could yeah. call through the whole neighborhood and find who's looking to sell. Yep, and, and that's just the way it is. And the thing is, in, in whatever it is that you're trying to sell, or however you're trying to make money, whether it's a service-based business or a product, whatever it is, it's about volume. Mm -hmm. sales right people might talk about how they dial in their sales skills they'll close anybody right yeah that's true your sales skills can be on point but there's always this aspect of volume that is just as important you got to make those repetitions in order to have success yeah, yeah. so i know we had austin zay back on another another arizona based uh wholesaler yeah. he was telling us that his business is set up with three different pillars direct to seller he has another pillar that is direct to real estate agents. And then the third one was with other wholesalers, right? So three main pillars. How do you, how would you compare that to your business? How do you guys set up? Yeah. So we're doing direct to seller and we're doing with wholesalers and JVing because I obviously, you know, I've built a pretty, pretty big brand in the space online. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of people coming to me, bringing me deals. So we're working with a bunch of wholesalers to help them sell their deals. We don't take huge cuts of their profit. We don't even do like big splits. We'll just take a few grand and help them move their deal. So that's the two things we're doing. We also do have a decent amount of realtor relationships. So that middle pillar that you talked about, yeah. we are not actively doing agent outreach to build more relationships, but just because my name is known in town, I have a lot of realtors bringing me deals locally here in Arizona. Yeah. Talk to us about some of those deals that realtors bring you. I mean, why would the realtor, I mean, I think I know the answer, but just for our viewers, why would the realtor not just put it on the market? Yeah. So a lot of times a realtor will come across a property that needs too much work where it doesn't look like it could sell on the market. It could sell on the market to an investor, but sometimes a realtor just doesn't know what to do with a property like that because it seems like too much of a headache. They're used to a property being more market ready and going through that n more standard process, right? And so when they have a unique situation on their hands, 
they aren't the wholesaler that is more flexible, that solves tons of crazy problems. They sometimes need somebody like me to come in, help them out, figure out how they can help their client out to get them what they need. And so that's a lot of the deals that we see come to us from realtors. A lot of the deals we also see come to us from realtors is just they think we're going to like be able to pay retail or help move the property at retail, but that's not the case. So yeah. that's the thing with agent outreach. A lot of times the, the prices are just way off. So just like anything else, though, it takes a lot of repetitions, right? You just need more realtors and more opportunities. They got to be bringing you more deals. So yeah. that's what I see with that. If you had to give someone a, like a formula to, to get do a wholesale in 30 days, how would you break that down for them to do that? Yeah, to wholesale in 30 days. Uh, it took me eight months to get my first deal, and that's because I did things wrong. Uh, I was passing out and like 500 flyers. And it's flyers. because you were nine years old. Yes, I was I was six <laughs> years old, actually. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I was doing stuff wrong, like because there is a lot of information out there. Actually, when I got started, there was less information. Now it's like so much easier to figure out everything. But I still had like shiny object syndrome. I didn't know which channel I should stick with. So I started with passing out 500 flyers, knocking on doors or leaving them in the mailbox at pre-foreclosures mm -hmm. and properties that looked distressed. So I would drive around with my friends and do that. That didn't work. So then I got some bandit signs and I was hanging up bandit signs. That didn't really work. Then I um, decided to start cold calling. So I got a list. And I got the Mojo dialer, which I would get uh, the ready mode dialer if I started over because it mm. dials more people. But I got a dialer, a list, and I jumped on the phones and I was cold calling every day and I started to gain some traction. Then I had some money saved up. So I hired two cold callers just for, I think it was 25 hours a week per caller just to help me get more volume, right? I needed to reach more people. And then but that was after a couple months of me calling myself. So that way I could get my feet wet and learn how to talk on the phone. And then the cold caller started me bringing, bringing me the people that already wanted an offer. And that's when I really started to gain traction. So that's what I would do. I would cold call and I would get on a dialer and cold call yourself for two weeks, then hire two cold callers. And then I think you'd be able to get that first deal in 30 days doing that. Yeah. And will probably only spend somewhere between three to $5,000 to get your first deal. Yeah. Now, if you want to drag out the process a bit longer, you could spend less money and make cold calls yourself for a lot longer, or maybe just get one caller and maybe it'll take you 60 or 90 days to get that first deal. But that's the simple strategy that I would stick to because yeah. like I said, it's about proactive rather than reactive. I need you to chase down this deal. That's how you're going to get it in 30 days. Got it. So eight months you hired. So you, you were cold calling yourself. You hired two callers for you. Walk us through that timeline until you had 30. How did that yeah, look like? Yeah, so I was cold calling myself for like two months. Mm -hmm. Then I got two callers. I started gaining traction. I got a deal under contract six months in. Nice. I walked a buyer through the property. He told me there's foundation issues that I didn't see. Then the seller told me they got a bid for the foundation repair. It needed way more work than what was expected. The numbers no longer worked. I had to cancel that deal. So mm. this was after six months of trying every single day. So I was completely broken. And like, this was like a shocker, right? I finally felt like I did it. And then I was let down. It's the bait and switch. Yeah. But thankfully, 
I'm a very driven individual. So I decided after a day or two to get back on the phones and keep trying. A couple months later, I got my first deal for $30,000. And I was just turning like about at 17 years old when I got this $30,000. Nice. So then I took that 30,000 and I'm 17 years old. You know, you can imagine what most 17 year olds would do with 30,000. They would blow it. Thankfully yep. though, from how long it took me to get this first deal, I built that callus and that thick skin of knowing like, damn, I'm really committed to this. I've put the efforts in. There's no way I'm gonna now blow it. And I also now have the proof of concept that what I'm doing is gonna work. So all I have to do is do more of it and I'm gonna get more deals. Mm -hmm. So now it's a no brainer to take this 30,000 and do the right thing with it rather than the wrong thing with it. So then I instantly went to five callers, did a few more deals, then went to eight, then 12, 15 and so on because I had the proof of concept. This worked and that's the thing. A lot of people, they'll do their first deal and then they'll be like, okay, now I'm gonna text blast. But what got them their first deal? Yeah, it was yeah. cold calling. So they screw it all up. So I stuck with what worked and that's what really led me to the promised land. Yeah, man. Let's dive a little deeper because that's something Kiro and I know or, or have spent a lot of time on. You said ready mode is, is your main dialer? Yep, I like the ready mode dialer. Yep, it used to be called Zen Call. Yeah. But uh And your dialers are based where? Yeah, so I had majority of my callers in Mexico and then like uh like ten, I had like 20 in Mexico and 10 in the Philippines. What do you like right in Mexico now, versus Right now Philippines? I have um I have a couple in the Philippines and then the rest in Mexico right now. So Okay. Yeah. That's actually a really good idea. Get well, that, but that's two different time zones, right? Yeah, it doesn't Obviously. matter. But then it's good for the Spanish speakers too. Yeah, but in the Philippines, they do like they the they shift. work during the night. Right, they work overnight, of course. I love how you're yep. saying that, but you, <laughs> we've had so many. Well, no, I mean, that must just be confusing for you to coordinate because obviously you could get on the same page as, as all the Filipino staff, but then it must complicate things when you have people in They're guess, working on his Mexico, schedule. They're probably, yeah. I it guess. was a little complicated, but the thing was my callers in the Philippines were at a call center so they, uh, that I didn't own. So they handled everything. They handle everything. In Mexico, all of those callers worked for me directly. Gotcha. Okay. Are you able to say which company you used in, in Philippines? Yeah. Thecallgenius.com is who I use for callers in the Philippines. And in Mexico, I had a, a manager of the, like of the call center. They all worked from home, but I had a manager that handled everything as well. Yeah. No, that's smart. But that's cool. I've since decreasing. I don't need that manager anymore, so I let it go because, you know, managing 20 people compared to managing like five, eight people. Like you don't need a manager at that point. Yeah. Well, Kiro and I are the first ones to tell you it's, it's tough, you know, when you have that many people working for you, somebody, you know, there's always people that just don't show up. There's people that are showing up, but not really dialing. They're just sort of clicking buttons. And what was the problem we yep. used to always have? Like the if voicemail would answer and they just wouldn't hang up and they just wait. Let it ring through. Yeah. Let it ring through. Then there's people that say, you know, the leads are bad. I need more leads or I need another caller ID. I mean, you could babysit all day long. Yeah. Yeah. So you have to hire a babysitter. Otherwise, mm -hmm. you're going to drive yourself insane. You're smart for doing it. The <laughs> hiring upwards. Yeah. We, we hired from the bottom up. But I will say the benefit is, is that we've made incredible hires where there's people there that would hopefully last for many, many years to come. And we wouldn't have right. known that if we didn't get in Yeah, I have people direct. that have a guy across this wall right here has been with me almost five years since the very beginning. And then people in Mexico have been with me for like four years as well. Nice, man. So, yeah, you get those core people 
they'll stick around. And uh, well, the thing is, is if you're a good leader, you build a good company, people like to work for you, they're yeah. not going to go anywhere. Yeah. So talk to us about the rest of your team, acquisitions, dispositions. How's that look? Yeah. Yeah. So I've scaled it back a bit since the changes in the market that started kind of in July of last year. Mm. What I can say is in July of last year, I had nine people working for me here in uh, the US. And then I had those 30 callers and then a, and a few virtual like the manager I was talking about. So I had I had nine people here in the US and one disposition and like admin transaction coordinator type person. Mm -hmm. And then the rest of them were acquisition managers. Now I just have three acquisition managers and I'm back on the phones myself. Mm -hmm. So I've scaled back. Back then I was spending 50 to $70,000 a month on marketing, overhead, staff, all Damn. of that. I've scaled it back to I'm spending between 20 to 25 and I'm on the phones myself again because I wanted to jump on the phones, especially with the inbound, it's more fun for me. Like I like calling, I like closing deals. So with the inbound, it's fun for me to call these leads. So I'm back on the phones and I'm making pretty much about the same amount of money that I was with that huge staff and with spending that much. So I'm spending like one fourth, yeah. Uh, or yeah, I'm spending like one fourth the amount of money and making pretty much about the same. So the profit margins are a lot better. Yeah. Which one do you enjoy more, the acquisition side or the disposition side? Acquisition side. Yeah. But it's always nice selling the deal and lining up the amount of money you're going to make, right? But yeah. as far as outreach that it takes for acquisitions or dispositions, I enjoy outreach to sellers much more than outreach to buyers. Yeah. So like for the acquisition side, I feel like anybody listening to this will know. Yeah. It's like same thing for hunting for a listing, but it's you're the one that's going under contract. How do you teach someone who's new at this how to dispo a deal? Yeah, how to dispo a deal if you're new at this. The biggest thing to remember is because people get hung up on this too when they're just getting started. They're like, oh no, do I need to build a cash buyers list first? Mm -hmm. That's the last thing you need to do because the reality is when you have a real deal, it's gonna fly off the shelf. That is so true. If you have a real deal, finding a buyer will be the easiest part of the whole process. Mm -hmm. So just find a real deal. But there's always companies like me or other big wholesalers in your market that you can reach out to and they'll help you sell your deal. So that's the thing that I would do. And that's what I did in the beginning. I would go find a successful wholesaler and uh, have them help me find a buyer. Yeah. Um, if you don't want to do that, you can also get on real estate Facebook groups, post your deal there, post your deal on Craigslist, you name it. You could go to networking real estate meetups and just talk about it and, and reach out to people. But again, if it's a real deal, it's going to sell. That's yeah. the least of your worries. I feel like the taboo part of it is like, will, like, could this blow up in someone's face? Like, will the seller ever find out and get mad? Or like, will something negative yeah. occur in those kind of situations when you're trying to dispo it yourself? So people are always worried about that, right? But if you use the right contract in your contract, you'll be able to cancel the contract, you know, rightfully so. So you'll have a term in there that says, that for whatever reason, buyer's able to cancel the contract. And so if you're not able to find a buyer, if the deal's not gonna work out, you can cancel it. Yeah. That doesn't mean somebody's not gonna be upset. So you need to remain ethical and conduct business properly. Make sure you're getting a deal that you actually think you're gonna be able to perform on and close, so that way you don't do anything negative, right? And you gotta remember, there's a lot more new wholesalers getting into this, and it makes a bad rap 
for the rest of us that are actually doing things right. Yeah. So make sure you're doing the right thing, right? Communicate with the seller. Be open about what's going on. That's the best method. But at the end of the day, as long as you're using the right contract, there's pretty minimal risk for it to like blow up in your face. Yeah. Yeah. And then as far as a seller finding out about the assignment fee, a lot of title companies will do a blind HUD where it's a one-sided HUD where the seller only sees their stuff that's coming out of their proceeds, not anything else. Like they'll, they just won't see it all. It's a blind HUD. It leaves out a lot of the buy side stuff. Mm-hmm. And so they won't even see your assignment fee. Or you could do a double close, which costs you more in closing costs, but then they don't see your assignment fee. But I don't think you should be doing that because a lot of the times, even if it's a regular HUD, shows everything on it, the seller doesn't even know what this assignment fee is. They don't even bat an eye at it. And I've never had a seller be like, did you make this much money? Not once. And I've done hundreds of deals. Yeah. Yeah. Because at that point, a lot of times, and, and you have to remember too, like, it depends, I guess, on the, the size of the fee. If it's a, an enormous fee, a seller might get upset or might might have a question. But if it's an you know an average fee, like you talked about, in the range of fifteen, twenty thousand dollars, you know, a lot of times I think they're they're okay with it because they just realize, like, listen, I'm physically at that point when they're at the closing table, the house is packed up, they're gone. Yeah, it's off their plate. Hundred percent. It's already they're already at the finish line. So. Yeah. It's stuff that these are the things that people worry about that keeps them in place from actually taking action. So forget, you know, these are the only thing you need to be focused on is finding that deal, conducting yeah. marketing and and that stuff. People get worried about all these other things. And I've done a $210,000 assignment fee nice. without doing a double close. Seller didn't see it or care. So, How did you find that deal? That's awesome. Yeah, yeah that deal, it was in... Uh, California and it came from cold calling. Nice. It was a million dollar house too. Yeah. Which is wild. To, yeah. Cause like you guys said, a lot of the stuff that comes through from cold calling, it's kind of lower value. Yeah, yeah. So it was a unique situation. I think if you're just ethical and, and uh, do things with integrity, it, it, it shouldn't be a problem. I, I did one earlier this year where, you know, I actually sat down with the seller and I said, listen, you know, because I'm, we're also realtors. I said, we could go on the market and potentially get you X, Y, and Z. And she's like, well, my house cannot go on the market. Hmm. Why is that? Because it's not in this condition, you can't put it on the market. Now, what's funny is I find a lot of sellers think that their house has to be pristine condition to be on the MLS or to be photographed, but there are so many sellers out there who don't want their neighbors to know they're selling. They don't want to sign in the front yard. They don't want showings. They don't want to have to clean up. And there's a, you know, there's a price to pay for that. And some people are there's okay. Tons of people, yeah. There's tons of people that think that, right? They don't want the showings. They don't want the hassle of the traditional route of selling a house. Also, there's a lot of sellers out there that think that there's a bad rap about realtors. Yeah. Like I have sellers tell me all the time, realtors, they don't do jo- their job. They just make money for doing nothing. They waste your time. Like I get this all the time. Yeah. So you'd think the wholesalers would have the bad rap, but actually... There's sellers that have, for some reason, they don't like realtors and they want somebody like us instead. Yeah. Like, yeah. it's wild. And, and so, it's, it, you're exactly yeah. right. And it's, I'm the kind of person where if I'm going to sell my house, I want to make sure I get absolute top dollar. I don't want to leave any money on the table. And for years, I would sit with sellers thinking that they had the same mentality as me. Yeah. And there are plenty of people that would say, hey, listen, I'll sell it at a little bit of a discount to get it off my plate in three weeks four weeks just to be out of this house, to not have to clean up, to not have to patch holes, do all that stuff. So yeah, I think 
what I would tell people is if, if you're considering a wholesale opportunity, not every seller has to maximize the profits. Not every seller is going to uh, have the same mindset as you. Yeah. It, it really yep, comes down to I your agree. highest. Yeah. It comes down to your highest. When I, was getting, Go ahead. when I was getting started, I thought the same thing too. Why would somebody sell me their house at a discount? Because I'm the type of person that I want to get the most I can for everything I've got if I'm selling it. But there's, there's millions of people in this world. Everybody's so different. Like not everybody has your same thought process. And so, yeah, that's one thing where a lot of people think this wholesaling thing, it can't be real. Nobody's actually really making money from this because who would sell their house at a discount? That's like so many people would, you know, that's yeah. a misconception a lot of people have yeah. when getting started as well. Yeah. My favorite analogy is that insider trading is illegal in every industry except for real estate. And it yeah. comes down to knowing the comps, which is really one of the things I was thinking about. How did you comp the property in California when you're in Arizona? Yeah. So we just use a platform called PropStream. Okay. Um, and it lets you look up property across the country. It gives you all the information about the property. Pretty much MLS, but for nationwide. Mm -hmm. And you would rely on that data when you're making offers for something out of state? Yes. Yep. Okay. okay. That's, that's actually pretty helpful. I never knew that. You could do that. Yeah. My, my coach always tells me, Steve Bowers, he always says, you have to focus on the highest income producing activity that you have out there, no matter what, whether it's wholesaling or real estate, residential resales, it's acquiring the client, right? Finding the next deal. So spending that time and finding ways to, to be able to get more clients, to get the people who are ready to sign a contract to sell. And you're going to find those one-offs that are willing to sell for a lot less just for the convenience or speeding it up. Um, yeah. 100%. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, I'm, I'm actually meeting with two prospective sellers tomorrow uh, who said to me, I can't go on the market because I need to have my house sold in the next 30 days. So I think it's just about digging deeper. And they know that if they go on the market and they have a conventional buyer, they're going to need to get a mortgage. And that buyer in New Jersey, I know the West Coast closes much quicker with conventional financing. But in New Jersey, if a home goes on the market and it's sold with a realtor and the buyer gets a standard mortgage, it takes about 60 days to close, which is crazy because I know in California, you could do it much quicker. Yeah. So yeah, these we can get them done in like 30 with yeah. conventional. Yeah. So the but even like a cash deal in New Jersey still somehow takes like three weeks, two weeks. Yeah, yeah. it's crazy. I just did a deal in New Jersey. Oh, yeah. Where? Um, yeah. In Williamstown. OK. Williamstown must, uh, must be pretty far. south. it's real small, real small uh, town. Yeah, okay. that's probably like but, the uh, sticks. We're yeah. not in the sticks. We're across from the city of Brahms. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I and, guess uh, but it, it was a process. It what, took a bit to get yeah. it done. Walk us through that. So I think that's interesting in itself. I mean, I think some people would be discouraged to say, how am I going to sell? Because think about it, right? Like when we're talking about doing fix and flips, people will tell you don't go further than 45 minutes from your house because you don't want to go outside your area and all that. I think some people might be discouraged when they, they hear like, how am I ever going to sell a house in New Jersey when I live in Arizona? So walk yeah. us through how you found it and how you dispoed it. So I think, yeah, for fix and flips, that makes sense. You know, try to keep that drive time down, the better, right? But, you know, a deal's a deal. So you got to capitalize on an, on an opportunity. Also, there's a lot of people that do flips virtually if you have a good crew. But when it comes to wholesaling, you really can do it from anywhere because you don't need to go to the property, right? Mm -hmm. I haven't been to a property in over two years. And the wow. biggest waste of your time is going to properties and going to appointments. What I like to think is if you can stay at your desk, I call it my battle station, right? If I can stay here and not get out of my chair, 
my time is going to be maximized so much, right? Because I can reach a hundred sellers in the amount of time it takes me to drive 30 minutes to the appointment, talk to the seller for two hours, them not sign the contract and drive back. Mm. I could have contacted a hundred more people. So you got to remain in place. And so for anybody of my sales guys to leave the office and go to an appointment, they have to ask the seller three times at least, are you prepared to sign on the dotted line as long as everything looks straightforward? And if I don't hear that said like multiple times where it's confirmed, I don't want them leaving the office because they're going to be wasting their time. Yeah. So sure. that's a big statement right there on how you don't need to be going to these properties and you can do it from anywhere, right? All real estate is closed. Well, most of real estate, unless you go to the county and do a quick claim deed, but most of real estate is done through a title company or a closing attorney. So when you get a property under contract, you're going to go find that trusted title company or closing attorney, and they're going to worry about everything else, all the paperwork, everything that's unique for that county, that state, they're going to handle all that. And they're going to get your deal to the finish line. So there's really nothing different about doing a deal here in Arizona versus doing a deal in a different state. If I get a deal here under contract in AZ, I'm not going to go to the property. I'm going to have the seller send me pictures of the property, or I'm going to have somebody go out and get pictures. I'm not going to go there. Then I'm going to market the deal, find a buyer, assign the deal, and I'm going to send all the paperwork over to the title company and they're going to close it and I'm going to get paid and they're going to send me a check or a wire. Yeah. Same process, any state across the country. I love that. One, one question. At 21, I didn't even know what the wire was or a wire in general. How do you fight the temptations and distractions? Yeah. I should probably allow myself to have some more temptations and distractions. I'm really the type of person, I've been the bad kid. I've been the kid that I was the, you know, pothead kid, like drinking, going out with friends, like doing all the stuff, right? I was the bad kid. At some point, you know, the spark with that stuff, you get tired of it, right? Now I'm the person that's trying to be better in every way, shape and form that I possibly can. I know that what I put out in life is going to come back tenfold, right? You get what you put in. I know life's not fair either, right? And so if I can try to do my best and get better every single day, I'm going to be rewarded for that. Hard work's always rewarded. So me, I cut every single vice, right? I don't have any vices. All I do is work on myself. All I do is try to become a better person. And because I'm putting, I'm, you know, if, if it's like a lottery, right? I'm buying more tickets. I'm buying more lottery tickets and they're going to come back tenfold. Yeah. I love that mindset. Good for you, man. I'm very curious to see how when you're 30, where you're going to be, that's going to be pretty insane. What's the vision over the next couple of years? Yeah, this has always been a question that I've struggled with, you know, from going on podcasts from like 17 years old up until now, I'd always get this question and it's hard for me to answer because I'm so far beyond my wildest dreams already. Right. So it's very hard to see the future. But what I do know is that it's promising and I'm gonna just keep doing what I just spoke about, which is trying to become the best man that I can be in life, in business. And I know that on a long enough time frame, as long as I show up every single day, in a couple of years from now, I'm gonna look up and everything's gonna be multiplied for sure. So. The success you see now, we could throw a three, five X on it in the years down the line. That's and uh, I'm excited for it. Sweet. Good for you, man. We're excited for you. Yeah. Well, thank you so much thank for you. spending some time with us today. We really do appreciate it. I think people will find this very inspiring, of course, because of your age. I mean, super well-spoken. 
Yeah. Right? Thank Better you. than me, that's for sure. You got it, man. I have one question just to, to, to conclude it. Yeah. Knowing what you know now, if you had to rebuild everything from the beginning, what are one or two things that you would have done differently? Yeah. Knowing what I know now, if I had to rebuild, what would I do differently? So, first off, I would not do the flyers and the bandit signs. I would instantly go to proactive marketing, chasing after the opportunities. That's what I would do as far as getting my feet off the ground in this business. Then when it comes to scaling, I think that having so many people working for me directly in Mexico, having so many interpersonal relationships when I probably could have outsourced more of that staff to a call center would have been better. Because mm -hmm. having to cut your bottom line and, and retract, it's extremely hard to get rid of people when you have those interpersonal relationships. So I would focus on scaling my business in a way where I keep limited staff, mm. outsource what I can, and keep overhead low, and keep that in mind. So that's what I would do differently. But I do wanna say though, that success requires speed and momentum. And so sometimes you gotta throw gasoline on the fire in order to really get somewhere. So you might gotta burn money. You might need to hire a bunch of staff that maybe you could have found a better way to hire it where it wasn't so directly and it was outsourced or whatever. Yeah. So I wanna say as you're growing, there's no way to avoid these things because you do have to throw gasoline on the fire. You gotta burn money, you gotta take risks. But those are my two things looking back that I would do differently. Awesome. So just to clarify that, you said as far as the, the, the calling team, you said it was better. It was a better experience having the full team under one roof? No, I would rather outsource. So if you can outsource where you're not, where they Involved. don't work for you, that's best. So if you find a, a staff member in your business that doesn't need to work for you, that you can get from somebody else and it's still going to be as good or at least 80% as good, outsource it. So that way, if you ever need to turn your marketing down, you don't have to fire people. You simply turn your marketing down. Yeah. You see, so that's one thing that would have that gives me more flexibility. Yeah. As a business owner, you need to be agile too. The world's crazy. Markets shift. Things happen. If you can remain agile and nimble, then you're going to be able to capitalize on the changes better and and shift and pivot quicker. So that's something you got to keep in mind. And good, if I outsourced more, I would have been able to pivot. I would be able to pivot faster. Probably would have lost a little bit less money when the market turned down and got back to a new model faster, which I'm running with inbound and having a lot more success. Good stuff. Awesome. That's good. Well, thank you, man. We, this has been great. We really do appreciate it. If anybody wants to reach out to you, collaborate with you, or get in touch with you in any way, what's the best way for them to do so? Yeah, you guys can find me. Just go to jacobblank.com, jacobblank.com. My last name's B-L-A-N-K. And you'll be able to find all my social media there. I post two to three YouTube videos every single week teaching you how to get into the business. So make sure to check out my YouTube channel. Uh, but yeah, I'd love to connect with you guys. And uh, thank you guys so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Awesome, man. Thank you for being here.